Sunday of Easter as we continue in the celebration of the resurrection of our Lord. Please stand and join us as we sing his praises together. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice with eyes and sing. Oh, praise Him. Hallelujah. Well, burning sun with golden gleam. The silver moon with softer
Seated, uh, share a word of greeting for those who are here in worship today. We are at that point in the year when uh, we are nearing uh, commencement uh, for Houghton College and uh, other places have already had it. Some may be coming in the next few weeks uh, for college students. And uh, we've been our practice for a number of years to take a few moments on this day to offer prayer for our graduates. And I think there are a few in this service and I'm going to ask them to do something really uncomfortable and that is to stand up. And... uh, and then I want to invite uh, others of you to, uh, who are close to them to just gather around them, maybe lay hand on their shoulder as we pray together. So if you're uh, a graduating college senior, please stand and we want to uh, offer prayer for you. Got a couple over here. Do you guys want to gather around them? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for... The, the gift of education. I, I suspect that sometimes we take it for granted. We are so blessed. And we thank you today, Father, for the accomplishments of completing uh, college education. And for those who are standing before us today and for others 
who in the next week or so will be finishing their schooling and moving on to the next stage of life, we pray for your abundant grace. We pray, Father, that as you have been faithful to them in the years of their time here, they will know your faithfulness as they go from this place to the next place. Give them wisdom as they make decisions. Fill them with the power and the grace of your spirit. And whatever they do, wherever they go, we pray, Father, that that they will be beacons of light for you in a needy world of great darkness. We pray, Father, that that you will continue to bless them with uh, your spirit, with uh, people in their lives who will encourage them in their walk with you, and that they will be an encouragement for others in their walk with you. Thank you again for these graduates. Pour out the abundance of your blessing upon them this day, in the days to come, and in the months and years to come. And we uh, covet them for you and place them in your hands and pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Uh, Just a couple of things I want to bring to your attention. You note that next Sunday... Uh, we move to uh, our different worship schedule time, so we will not have a 940 service uh, over the course of, the, of May and the summer, uh, but we move to an 830 service next Sunday, 830 and 11 o'clock, and Sunday school at 945, so just note that difference. Also, we are still looking for people to help with children's church throughout May and the summer, and it's an opportunity for you to work with our children. If you could do that, that would be awesome. You can sign up in the back. Emily will be in the back after service. You can ask her questions and and, uh, sign up to help out with that important ministry. There are also a couple of inserts in your bulletin. Uh, One of them is helping with the food pantry as we are uh, working to continue to connect uh, our church and the needs of people right around us. And so please take note of that. And if you can help out with that, that would be great. Uh, And there's also an insert about the uh, earthquake in Nepal. And if you've been watching any of the news of that, uh, the numbers continue to grow of people who have lost their lives from that earthquake. And I just was seeing this morning, they're expecting it to continue to grow. And it's such a a, a tragedy. And we want to uh, be involved in this. We are joining with the Wesleyan Church as uh, in helping with the effort of that. And you see information in the bulletin about that. And also uh, Christina Montoro, uh, who's a student at the academy, is going to share just a little bit about her heart as we think about helping Nepal. Good morning. Um, On April 25th, an earthquake hit Nepal, and it was 7.8 in magnitude, and the aftershocks have been over 6 in magnitude. About 7,000 people have been killed, and even more are displaced. People are living in tents because their houses aren't safe and they can't enter them. The academy has a relationship with a ministry in Nepal called Sarah's House, which represents the Savior alone reaches Asians. They are among the multitudes that are sleeping in tents. There have been many organizations that have been sent into Nepal, and some of them are Samaritan's Purse, the Red Cross, Mercy Corps, and Catholic Relief Services. The Lord laid it on my heart to do something, so I wanted to share it with you. These people are in need of our help, and I ask that you keep them in your prayers daily. There is, as Pastor West said, there is a bulletin in your insert that you can send checks to, and that will help the Wesleyan Church assist the people in Nepal.
I'd like to invite the ushers forward to assist us in giving back to God from all that he has given to us.
We do want to spend some time this morning praying for Nepal, uh, praying about the situation in Baltimore and other places of the nation where there's similar unrest, as well as the, the needs and burdens that we live with every day. So as we pray today for these concerns, uh, let me invite you to use the altar as a place where you offer your prayers for yourself or for others. If you'd like to come and pray here, please join me. Holy Father, we come today to give you glory and praise, to declare among ourselves and to the world that you are the only true God, the creator of all, the sustainer of all, the lover of our souls. Father, we come today giving thanks for who you are and bringing before you the burdens and the concerns of our hearts. Father, we pray today for the needs of our lives. We think about all among us, people connected to us who are grieving today. Sometimes our grief is from experiences that are, have just happened. Other times it is lingering grief that is so deep that we just continue, continually need your healing grace. Father, we pray for all who are wrestling with health concerns. And we pray this morning especially for Derek Mastin, Beulah Avery, for Jill Tyson, Bruce Brenneman, Bev Rett, Micah Christensen. For Linda Roth, Dick Gould, for Tim Nichols, Edna Howard, Crystal Blake, Emily Cricklar, and for others. We pray for your healing power in each of them. Father, we pray for our daily lives and ask that we would sense you at work in all that we do. Father, this morning we pray for our world. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are facing persecution, who opposition and even the threat of their very lives. We ask that you would protect them. Father, we also pray for the needs of the world that break our hearts. And we think especially today about Nepal or the devastation from this earthquake the lives that have been lost, people who have been displaced. Grief and pain is so deep, it is almost impossible for us to really comprehend. And Lord, your heart is even more devastated than ours. These are people that you have created and love. 
And Father, we pray that you will give us your heart, that we will do everything in our power to help with the relief effort. We pray for your church there in Nepal, your people who have often been persecuted. We pray that their presence would be a a beacon of light in the midst of darkness. That you would bring your healing grace on this nation of people who need to know your healing, your relief, your help. We pray for everyone who's going in a rescue effort. We pray that what they do will truly be an assistance to people in need. May you work miraculously. Father, we also pray for the situation in Baltimore and other places of our nation where there is uh, such unrest. Lord, we have to admit that, that these circumstances reveal our human struggle with race and classes and the various ways in which, in which we hurt each other look down on each other. Father, we pray that rather than this escalating into more violence, that through your Holy Spirit, there will be healing. We pray for your church in these places as well, that they will be places of of nurture and of hope and of your grace. Father, we pray for healing in these cities and in our land. Lord, thank you for all the ways in which you are at work in us, in this place, in our world. Give us hearts that are continually looking to you, trusting you, seeking you. Thank you for hearing our prayers today. We offer them in the name and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer which we now pray together. Our Father, Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I invite you to stand for this morning's scripture reading, which comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. And following the scripture reading, children ages 2 through 5 are dismissed for children's church. Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. 
He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Change our hearts, may we 
Are there particular moments when you especially look for God in your life? And are there moments in your life when you, if you're honest, really don't think about God being involved all that much? I have a feeling that we have a tendency to think these are moments in which, these are moments that are spiritual. And these are moments that are not. And there's something about that idea, that dichotomy of of life sort of in two different veins that causes us, I think, to miss a lot of what God wants to do in us. Because we have expectations about God's going to work this way in these places at these times, which implies that he's not going to work in these places in these ways, in these times. And I've been pondering that idea, that, that sort of divided idea of life, as I, as I looked at this last section, this last chapter of John's gospel. When you read the end of chapter 20, you get the sense that John actually finished. You know, he says, here's why I wrote this, so that you'd, Know that Jesus is Messiah and you would believe. And you get the sense when you read that, that he's done. And then you have, still have chapter 21. And you kind of get the idea that he finished it and then thought, oh wait, there's something else I want to say. And chapter 21 is this epilogue to the whole gospel that is not insignificant. It, without it, we would miss much of what John wants to tell us. And as I read that epilogue, my mind is drifting back to this idea of the kinds of places and the kinds of circumstances in which God speaks into our lives. And over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to explore different facets of that. But today I want us to think about especially something as mundane as eating and working. The disciples have gone to Galilee. They go to Galilee because that's where Jesus tells them to go. In his resurrection appearances, he says, tell disciples to go to Galilee and I will meet them there. And they are in Galilee as, a, as an act of obedience to Jesus. He's appeared to them twice, once on the evening of Easter and then a week later. And now they're waiting for him to appear again. And you get the sense that they're just sort of hanging out in Galilee, not knowing what to do. Time is passing, and Jesus hasn't appeared as he said he would. And he said, go to Galilee and wait, and that's all all they're doing. They're just waiting. They're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting. And finally, Peter, who 
is you know, impetuous and is ready to be, always wanting to do something, says to the guys with him, I've had enough waiting, I'm going fishing. And some people think that by Peter and this, everybody else says, hey, we'll go with you. And there are people who, who interpret that as they basically have given up on Jesus. But I don't think that's the case at all. I think they're just, they're trying to do something with their time. They're anxious, they're waiting. You know how that is. And you, they want to be busy. And what's the, what do they do? They do what they know. Before they became disciples of Jesus, they spent their lives, their whole adult lives, fishing. And so they're going fishing. And they go out in the boat, and they, you know, they don't catch anything. You have this encounter with Jesus, and he tells them to put their nets on the other side. They get a great haul of fish. They bring them in. And when they come in, Jesus feeds them. And this, when you read the end of that passage, you sort of have the sense, as some people interpret it, that it's a little bit sacramental. That is, as John describes Jesus handing them fish and handing them bread, you get the sense maybe that their minds are floating back to that upper room only a few weeks before, on that night that Jesus is arrested, and Jesus hands them bread and a cup. And maybe that's what it is. But when I read this, I also have a sense that it's not just a holy moment because it feels sacramental, but it's a holy moment because it is Jesus interjecting himself into ordinary things of life. Things like fishing and eating. And I have a feeling that sometimes we miss that. We miss the significance of Jesus in ordinary life. Because we tend to look for him in the spectacular of life. We think the, the place we'll find Jesus is when we are specifically looking for Jesus in the church when we're reading the Bible, when we're praying, those are spiritual moments and that's when we encounter God and everything else is just life. There have been people through the ages who have, who have thought that eating, viewed eating and food as sort of a necessary evil. And, and in their mind, if you could live without eating, that would be better. You'd be more spiritual if you didn't have to take the time to eat. And all the time of preparation of food and cleaning up afterwards. If, if, if we could do it, if we could exist without food, we'd be much more spiritual. And yet, here is Jesus fixing food for his disciples. When, when they come in, Jesus doesn't say to them, First question isn't, so how are your devotions been going, guys? His first question is, anybody hungry? And isn't it interesting that it's after Jesus says, come on and have breakfast, that John says, they knew it was the Lord. There is something about the connection of just eating with Jesus that opens their eyes to who it is and confirms that for them. We think back to to Jesus feeding the 5,000 in John chapter 6. 
Jesus doesn't say, you know, I'm looking around, these people are getting hungry, they've been here a long time, and I'm really disappointed that they can't hang on longer. I mean, I've got a lot of material to cover. We only got to page three of the workbook. I've got a lot of stuff to do here. And now they have to eat. And this is, this is really slowing us down because they have to eat. But hey, you work with what you've got. No. He says, look, the people are hungry. Let's feed them. It's part of what I do. And he looks at the disciples and he says, feed them. And you can almost sense them saying, well, they say to him, look, send them away. Let them find their own food. We're about feeding their souls. Somebody else is going to have to feed their bodies. And Jesus says, no, that's not how it works. I'm just as interested in their bodies and feeding them as I am their souls. And Jesus is in the the act of eating as much as he is in teaching. And somehow, getting a grasp of that, I think, is imperative for us as we walk with him. We tend to look for God in the spectacular. And we have a tendency that to ignore God or to miss God in the mundane, the norm, the ordinary. I was thinking about the, the story in Second Kings chapter 5 of Naaman, who is the Syrian commander, and he gets leprosy. And his, he has a servant girl who is from Israel. And she says to him, there's a prophet in Israel, Elisha, who can do something about that leprosy. And Naaman goes to see Elisha and he goes to his house and he knocks on the door. And Elisha's servant answers the door. And Naaman tells him what he wants. He wants the prophet to heal him. And the servant runs to Elisha and tells him what's going on. And Elisha says, go tell him to dip in the Jordan River seven times and he'll be healed. And Naaman's response isn't, well, that's simple enough, great. His response is, that's it? That's all I'm getting? And he says, I expected him to come out and to say grand words over me and to, and to put his hands on me and to do all of these great things, something spectacular. And that's how he'd be healed. And he said, we got better rivers in Syria than we've got. they've got here, the Jordan River. I'm not doing that. And he starts to go home. And he's got a servant who really loves him. And he says, um, sir, if he had told you to do something spectacular you would have done it so why wouldn't you do something easy all right he goes he washes the jordan river and he's healed and i think that tends to be us we look for god in the times that we consider spiritual those moments that we set aside these are spiritual moments coming to church and reading our bible and praying And the rest of the time, we don't really think that much about God being involved. But I'm convinced that God is just as interested and just as involved in the ordinary moments of life as he is those moments that we call spiritual. I think he's active. He's a part of those moments. I think it it says something to us about How we view things like eating and working. Because the reality is, God is at work in all of life. Every moment. And we miss so much of what he wants to do in us because we miss seeing that. 
We're not looking for him in those everyday moments. And I know work seems mundane a lot of the time. Every job has parts of it that aren't all that exciting. We're just, you know, we're happy when we get a few of those exciting moments. And God's in all of those. Every one of them. I read an article recently from Christianity Today by Bradley Nasif about, uh, the title of the article was something like The Monotony of Work. And he, he referenced back to the, the desert fathers and mothers of the 4th and 5th century. And he talked about how their view of work was, is different typically than our view of work. They called work the, the heavenly sandpaper. And they talked about how the monotony of work and, and the, the ordinariness of work and life is one of the most profound ways in which God cleans off the rough edges of our souls and our spirits. And talked about how God works in us in those moments that, that we tend to think of as unimportant. They talked about how the real issue isn't just the fact that we go out and we till the soil, but what tilling the soil does in us. He told about uh, one of the, the desert fathers named John the Dwarf. And in the early days of his, of his walk with, with God when he was young, he went to his elder brother one day and he said, I want to be done with the cares of life. I want to be like the angels who don't have to work and they just ceaselessly worship God. And so he took off his cloak and he went into the desert. And a week later, he came back. And he knocked on the door of his house and his brother opened the door and looked at him and said, who are you? He said, it's me, your brother, John. He said, no, it can't be. He said, my brother John's an angel. He doesn't, he's not on earth anymore as a human being. He left us to become an angel. He said, it's me, it's really me. And his brother closed the door and left him outside all night. And the next morning, he, he opened the door and he said, do you understand that you're immortal? That you need to work to eat? And that worshiping God is as much a part of that as going out into the desert and being free from the cares of life. And John fell on his face and asked his forgiveness. The the desert fathers talked about how work was one of the primary ways in which God developed Christ's likeness in us. In those everyday moments. He said our highest vocation is not what we do. But what, how what we do shapes us. And the attitude we bring to what we do. And it doesn't matter what our work may be. God is in it. God is at work in it. And yes, there are some jobs, there are some occupations, some things that we do in the world that demean people and and are obviously against the the purposes and the kingdom of God. And God's not going to bless those. But those are pretty few. 
And when we find Jesus engaging the disciples in their work, helping them with their fishing, feeding them food, we are reminded that whatever we do, whatever our work, whether it be in the home or outside the home, God is there. I think part of our struggle is is a misunderstanding of the way in which God works in the world. We have a tendency to think God is primarily concerned about the end. And however quickly we can get to the end, that's what matters. But when you read the scriptures and you look at the lives of God's people, what you find is that God is maybe more interested in the process, in the journey of getting to the end as he is the end itself. Because if all we're thinking about is a shortcut, we'll never end up at the end where he wants us. It's in the process. It's in the daily living. It's in trusting God in the moments that, are, that feel so mundane and ordinary that God does his work in us. You think back to the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. He's 40 days he has been fasting. He is desperately hungry. Why not turn rocks into bread? I mean, what's the big deal? Why is that such a problem? Because Jesus knows God doesn't work that way. Jesus knows that this moment is an opportunity for him to trust his father, to supply his needs without a shortcut. Because when I read the scriptures, what I, one of the things I find is that, that God is never in a hurry. Jesus is never in a hurry. In fact, sometimes it feels as if Jesus is dragging his feet. And everyone around him is trying to get him to go faster. And he refuses to do so because he lives and operates by the heart of his father. And I think we miss that. Because for us, it's all about how quickly we can get to where we want to go. And for Jesus, it is journeying with him through the moments. And it says something about our view of eternity. Because what we're doing now is is preparing us for eternity as God is going to continue to work in us. God is going to continue to, to, to help us know him more and more. And we're learning to do that now. And the goal now isn't how fast can I get to the end so I can sit back and do nothing. The goal is, how can I see Jesus every moment and develop a heart and a spirit and a mind to engage Christ in every moment of life? I don't know when we get to heaven if we're going to, to eat. I get, the, I get the distinct impression we're going to work and it makes me think that we probably are going to eat or what are we going to do with all the stuff that we grow? I don't know how that's going to work exactly. But God is not going to be done with us. Because the moment we have, we know everything there is to know, we are God. 
and even in heaven. It will be different than it is now. But we will continue to learn about who God is. The journey. And that journey is is a part of who we are now. God in the ordinary. Now, one of the things that the church developed in the church seasons is, you know, the seasons that begin in Advent and, and move through. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to enter the season of Pentecost. We celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. And there are some, there have been some traditions recently who have, who have gone to taking the season, calling the season of Pentecost, ordinary time. And I, I sort of like and dislike that. I, I dislike it because it almost gives you the sense that it's ordinary, it's sort of like, well, this is ordinary time, but these are extraordinary times. You know, the, these seasons that, that have a, a real strong purpose, like Advent and Lent and Easter, and we see it so clearly, and those are extraordinary, and this, this is just ordinary. But I like it at the same time because it does remind us that while it is just ordinary time, and it just progresses through sometimes up into 20-some Sundays after Pentecost, and it just becomes this, this routine of ordinary time, that God is in that. And Jesus is working in that. And it doesn't take something spectacular like Christmas to engage Jesus. Jesus is engaging us every moment in the ordinary time. And if we could see that, if we could understand Jesus in everyday life, I think it would change how we live. If we could see Jesus with us, teaching us when we are mowing the grass and balancing the checkbook and in a committee meeting and rewiring that appliance or treating a patient or milking cows or preparing a lecture or whatever it is we're doing, Every moment, in the home, outside of the home, whatever our lives entail, Jesus is in those moments. And he's looking for us to open our eyes, to see him in the moments we call spiritual, yes, but also in the moments we tend to call ordinary. Eugene Peterson talks about work as the container for grace. And he means by that that in our daily work, just going about our ordinary lives, whatever we're doing, that if we can see God in those moments, then we become channels through which the grace of God at work in us is seen by others. And it makes me wonder if maybe, if, if maybe the, the moments when we are, have the most potential for spiritual growth is the moments when we least expect it. Because see, when, we, when we're looking for Jesus in the ordinary and the mundane and maybe even the monotony of work, he doesn't take all that away. It isn't as though all of a sudden... The, the, the ordinariness of work just disappears and now all of work becomes spectacular. It's still ordinary work. 
I mean, you have ordinary work, I have ordinary work. You know, Monday mornings in my office is filing and doing reports and cleaning up from the whirlwind of the weekend and all the stuff that's just kind of gotten thrown around. And you have your ordinary moments, and that's not going to change. The difference is, are we open to letting God speak into our lives in those ordinary moments? And letting him teach us patience and trust and grace. So that we can be containers of grace for other people. Paul writes to the Colossians and says, whatever you do, whether it's in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything we do, giving glory to God. Every moment, every experience, every work, glory to God. Because he is at work in it. I think it was Oswald Chambers who said something like this. There is really no such thing as secular life and sacred life. There is just life. And Jesus lived life. Do we? Do we just live life looking, anticipating, expecting Jesus at work in us, through us, in every moment? Holy Father, we want to thank you for being present in all of life. Open our eyes to see. To see you, to sense your spirit, to let you work in us through the ordinary moments of our days. And we ask this through Jesus. Amen. As we get ready to sing the last song, I want to ask you to think for just a moment about your week ahead. Maybe today, maybe the next few days. And to think about a moment when you might typically not really be thinking about that being a spiritual moment. Not only thinking about God being, doing much of anything in that particular moment. Think about that moment and to, to commit yourself to look for Jesus. To think about his spirit. To have your eyes opened. And what he might want to say to you and do in you and work through you in those kinds of ordinary moments. Let's stand as we sing. Open our eyes, Lord. Jesus to reach out and touch
bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.
Amen.